dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. In the gospel, our Lord tells us to be as cunning as serpents and as simple as doves. What does it mean to be cunning as a serpent? And how could our Lord possibly want us to be cunning? Anyone involved in leadership knows that leaders need to be strategic. They need to think ahead of the curve and find a plan for achieving the great things that they set out to do. Could this be what Christ meant? How do Christians live and think strategically at the service of their love? Welcome back, everybody, to this uh, seminar we're doing on how to develop yourself as a leader in the footsteps of Christ. And I just, I love thinking about it this way because, honestly, both leadership needs Christianity, needs faith, and our Christianity or our faith really needs leadership. And here's what I mean by that. The two areas of our life, kind of action and productive energy, getting things done, right, that we usually think of as our number one priority, providing for our families, making a difference in the world. It's the reason we go to school. It's the reason why we try so hard. It's what is at the end goal of all of our financial doings. You know, everything that's kind of practical in our life, we're used to looking at that and saying, okay, that's what I need to attain. And then when we become Christians, we say, okay, well, there's heaven, there's graceful living, there's forgiveness and spirituality. But most of the great people who live in our society, even great Catholics, treat their Catholicism as something almost like that they're going to do when they get older, right? And most of our energy and our thought is around how am I going to get the next promotion? How am I going to make the next sale? How am I going to expand my position of influence in the world? How am I going to make more friends? All those types of of questions. And we, we allow ourselves to be encumbered with those things precisely because we don't see how faith dovetails with that. And we kind of separate these two worlds out. And what this leaves us with is that you either have very pious, saintly people who somehow feel like there's no possibility for them to really make a change in the world, or you have agents of change in the world who lack direction and lack ultimate purpose because they don't really really know what they're striving for anyway, except for themselves. And so then they can say they don't have a purpose, life can see empty, and so forth. Actually, though, Those who are leading the world from a secular point of view are the ones who stand in great need of faith because faith gives you purpose that goes beyond yourself, that goes beyond your own selfish means and allows you to develop the world for true and authentic progress by being the arbiter of a genuine human goal. It allows us to see humanity in all of its fullness and to make sure that what we're doing is really developing people and society in the right ways. And those who are really into their faith and into spirituality need the leadership of the world to say the, the love that we have for God ought to be made real and be expressed 
and effective and true actions towards our neighbor. And that means fighting for justice and working inside the world to make for true peace out of love and allow our love to be as true as the actions that it inspires. Okay, so that's what I mean that both, and that's why I love speaking with you guys who are business leaders because you are in business, are in the transformation of this world and you are people who are called into action. You're kind of masters of action. And that, and that is a blessing that our church needs to receive from and learn from because you know how to bring about change, how to effect an impact in our world. I would like for you to make sure that the impact that you effectuate in the world is the impact for Christ and is even more than just an impact for Christ is Christ's impact that he wants to bring into our world. I want you to lead in his name. And this doesn't mean that you strive after a different set of goals. It means that you strive after your goals in a different way, that you do it as instruments of God, opening your greatness to the demands and the calls of the greatest truth, which is, of course, our faith. And then on the other hand, I'd like to make sure that those who are believers and who have spirituality don't leave that treasure in some sort of ivory tower of goodness, but that they find effective ways to bring that to the poorest and to the most neglected of, of people, the, the, the souls that otherwise will never hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not because they didn't love Jesus, but because they lack the knowledge that the people of the world of business can have and can bring to the church, which is that knowledge of how to make it effective. So you have this wonderful dynamism between those two energies. And I, that's what I love to play with. It's really kind of simple. It goes like this. If every Christian is called to be a saint and every saint is a leader, then every Christian is called to be a leader in one way or the other, maybe in small ways, but every Christian is called to make that impact for Christ and to bring his influence into the world. So the question is, well, how do you do that, right? And we, we go back to the constant drumbeat of this truth that all leadership is a question of influence and all influence is, is happens in and through our actions, which means that the more sanctified our actions are, the more influence that they'll bear. How do you sanctify a human action? Well, the very first way is by tightening it together and living it in a wholesome way. And a human action is lived in a wholesome way, in a beautiful way, when it begins with a desire that's at the heart of our freedom and where we then find and make a plan that we choose to effectuate in order to bring about a good in a way that we can share with others. There's these four stages of that process that begins with aspiration, passes through understanding or planning, goes into drive, which is an effectuating stage of making it happen, and then is shared with those who are around us as we build our team and we pass on our spirit. A-U-D-E-O, Audeo, right? Aspire, understand, drive, and engage others. These are the four stages that you can find even in St. Thomas Aquinas, if you, if you look at it in the right way, as he defines what a human action is. And I wanna focus this in on a central problem, which is, I think, such a marvelous one, which is that of strategy. 
When most of us think about business and we think of business leadership, we think about our ability to create an effective strategy. And indeed, this is really at the heart of our success as a business person. And some people do it instinctively. Some people do it by a long process and writing out a business plan and, you know, and an analysis of market conditions and analysis of their internal business mechanisms and creating a budget with an accurate forecast and all those things. And this is a really essential aspect of business. My question for you is, can we take that same dynamic and apply it elsewhere in our life as well? If we're really good at a business strategy, what does that mean for my marriage? For the way that I strategize about my family's welfare? Can I apply that, thanks to my faith, to other areas of my life? And if so, what does that look like? And is this something that is compatible with my faith in the Lord? Is this something that is a part of my Christian faith? Well, the answer to both of those is yes and yes. And I want to take you deeper into that with this seminar. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. You know, being formed to be a Catholic priest, you spend a lot of time uh, reading about the arts, reading about history, reading about literature, and kind of heroic, romantic notions of things. Uh, a priest is, is an awesome person because they balance, uh, as a profession, you balance the, the needs of the temporal in front of you and the practical solutions people need for their life with an intellectual tradition that's proud and deep and rich. I mean, reading the great books and understanding great poetry and becoming a patron of the arts is kind of the obligation of a priest. In a way, we're supposed to be the defender of the things that are noble and, and elevated in our world. It's just that it is, I've done that formation, and of course I love those things, something that is kind of, I've become keenly aware of is that there's a bit of a discrepancy sometimes between the romantic notion of human love and human ideals that is oftentimes, you know, uh, encapsulated in these works of art and the real grittiness of the world of business that I've noticed where the goal is not so much to think about beautiful things as it is to achieve the, con the concrete goals that we've set in front of us. And you can sometimes even see a type of dialectic emerge between these two worlds, between the world of love and the world of work, right? And, or the world of money and then the world of beauty. And I don't think that that dialectic er, is, is a good one. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's necessary. You don't have to oppose these two things as if they were opposites. The one can actually come to the service of the other. If we can bring them together, we can find, I think, a real heartbeat behind what true love looks like. In true love, you both have the, the spiritual desire that transcends anything that's measurable to rejoice and to, to relish and to enjoy the, the union that you could have with, with God, with someone else, even with a noble ideal. Uh, but at the same time, you, you, you can't really say that you're in love unless you're striving to actually make that union real. And that requires, well, precision, timing, nuance, prudence. It's one thing to maintain uh, the energy towards noble ideals, and it's an, but it's another thing to actually make that energy 
real and concrete in the circumstances of our life. And there, it's not so much that prudence or, or strategy is opposed to love. Prudence and strategy become at the service of love to make the love real. And I, I love to say this to, to my students when I teach philosophy because it's a little line that's in St. Thomas Aquinas that I, I love very much. He says that when something comes to exist, it is reduced into being. It's the exact words in Latin, reducitur in actu, reducitur in actu, which means something is reduced into being. And his thought here is really beautiful because it, it's true. In order for us to have something, we have to have one thing. In order for something to be one thing, it can't be everything. So you, you kind of have this wonderful play on words, but it's, it's a fundamental truth that the great and noble ideas of life in order to become real suffer a certain reduction away from the absolute purity of their idealism and into the simplicity of actually existing. And, and there, there's a tension point and our artists are always reminding us of the certain tragedy of beauty, right? The tragic nature of something that, that can't be fully expressed and the limitations of the material. And yet at the same time, if you didn't have a beautiful object, even if it's limited in its expression of, it, of the ideal, you wouldn't have anything at all, right? So there's a reduction into being that the arts and the place of, of art demonstrates to us. But in the same way, that's how our heart can feel at times. There are those who are so enamored with the truth of spirituality that they fail to want to make those truths effective because it seems imperfect. It seems like you reduce something of the noble wonder of the contemplative or the purely spiritual by making it effective in the circumstances of our day. The real, a real person loving, in other words, rarely matches the idea of someone loving. Right? And the reason I'm saying all of this is that strategy requires choice. And choice requires reduction. And that reduction needs to be looked at in a positive light and instead of in a negative light. Uh, when you make something happen out of nothing or you bring an idea to bear into the reality of, of the world, it always happens in a way that has a certain limitation to it. And that's what I love about business people is that you live in a world of imperfection. You're like, listen, this is good enough. Move on. It's the poets, the theologians, the artists of the world. We can have a tendency to not want that. Yes, but, but the problem is it's not a matter of whether or not you want it or if it's perfect. It's a matter of whether or not it's closer than what it was. And, and here, the world of the church and spirituality has a great lesson that we can learn from you in business. Because in business, you're like, can we move the ball forward? If we can, well, then it was a score. It was a blessing. It might not be perfect, but it's good enough. Let's move on to the next thing. Almost like you can sometimes not have an entire strategy worked out. You can have the next step worked out. And after you get the next step, then you go to the step after that and you move in the contingencies and in the limitations of reality to bring something into existence that otherwise, no matter how ideal in thought, wouldn't have any power because it doesn't exist in reality. And that, 
lesson there is why business and strategy can be at the service of our love and of our spirituality. Because it insists that the, the, the love and the goal that we have of our hearts exist in the real concrete modalities of our individual circumstances. And that's a, that's a blessing all the way around. And that's why I like to say that strategy at its heart is a question of choice and focus. What are you going to do in terms of your first step of action? And what will that choice that you're doing of action focus in on? If you're unwilling to choose one thing over the next, you'll never be able to make an effective plan. And that choice will require you to say, what is the most important first thing that we need to do? And you'll find this in every leadership book that you read. You'll find this all over. When it comes to strategy, it's a question of choosing the smallest thing that will make the biggest impact. It requires you being really realistic about your priorities, right? We, we know what's possible, but amongst those possibilities, what is it that we're really striving to attain? And in the light of a realistic priority, you're able to say, well, if this is really our priority, this is really where we're trying to go, well, then this needs to come first, this needs to come second, this needs to come third, right? In, in, in an ideal world, that is coupled with a futuristic thinking that allows me to look ahead of the curve and make a strategy not just for the present moment, but one that'll take into account where things are emerging down the line. So we need to develop this a little bit more, and I think we can do that by looking at God and how God employs strategy himself in his working out of the great designs of salvation. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. Is Jesus strategic in his saving designs? This is a really great question because on the one hand, of course, we know that Jesus has a divine intelligence which transcends, you know, the purely human. And then on the other hand, that he was fully human. Did he himself develop and utilize a strategy? I'm going to say absolutely he did. And if we look at his strategic thinking, we might be able to get a little bit of a light on our own. Here, here's what I mean. Like if Jesus didn't have a strategy, then he was operating just out of pure instinct or out of pure chance. And that's against the wisdom of God. God does all things with true and good and holy order. So what was the wisdom, the practical wisdom, in the way that Christ lived out his life, you know, in his saving, saving mission upon the earth? Well, we see, for example, that he chooses to invest deeply in small groups of individuals in order to serve the bigger groups by the smaller. Here's what I mean by that. Obviously, he invested the most in one single person who is the Virgin Mary. And thanks to the Virgin Mary, he was able to service and reach out to St. Joseph, St. John the Baptist, St. Elizabeth, right? And then amongst the 12 apostles, we see how he invests in Peter, John, James, and Andrew. And that small group of three, if not four apostles, becomes the heart of the 12. And the 12 become the heart of the 72. 
And the 72 becomes the heart of the crowd. And the crowd becomes the heart of Israel. Right? And he uses like a cascading fountain. The water of his grace goes into one receptacle to overflow into the next, to overflow into the next, to overflow into the next, until he fills the whole world. But it's by the strategic choice of 12 individuals, and then amongst those 12, three or four individuals, and then amongst those, of course, Our Lady. And that, that represents a strategy. You have the strategy that Christ chose to save the world by the cross. Again, you could say, well, that was a strategy that was enunciated by the Father so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I say, well, that's true. But God wrote the scriptures. He wanted to save the world by the cross. He wanted, for example, another strategy to save the world by giving his body and blood in the Eucharist. And so all of these, wherever you see Christ making a choice, right, a choice to go in front of Pilate, a choice to carry the cross himself, a choice to not run away from the wolves that were coming, a choice to allow himself to be betrayed, a choice to, to live outside of the towns because certain towns had heard about him coming and they didn't have the fullness of the faith, a, a choice to engage uh, in raising Lazarus from the dead, even though he knew that that would create a whole crowd of people which would precipitate his death. I mean, you can go through a whole list of, of the life of Christ looking at it as if Christ was a divine strategist. How, what is the strategy that he employed in order to save the world? And you see that, in fact, everywhere he makes a choice, he's making a choice between one way and another in order in the circumstances that he has in front of him to bring the fullness of God's will. And that, that uh, if you don't say Christ is strategic, you're saying he's not making practical choices. But he makes a lot of practical choices. And he makes them in the limitations of his day. I mean, he came to Nazareth. He chose the Virgin Mary. You know, you, it's, like I said, in order to have anything, you have to have one thing. You have to think and order your priorities. You have to have the clarity of focus. You cannot do it all thinking that somehow, you know, the infinity of God is, is proper to you. No, it's proper to humans to choose to elevate one thing even at the expense of another. And therefore to, to prioritize the, the, the possibilities that are in front of us in order to focus in on the one that's going to make the biggest difference in a way that takes into account the present and the future. This is what strategy has at its, at its essence. And we need it. We need it desperately for our spirituality to stay true. Because otherwise we, we end up with a, a, a type of Christianity that remains a poetic ideal, a, a spirituality without a body. And that's just not what's at the heart of our faith. We follow a crucified king who knew who he was, knew where he was going, but made the choices in the given circumstances, sometimes even adjusting his plans uh, because of what was in front of him in order to always stay on the target of what the father willed that he do. Now, am I willing to do the same thing? Right? That's really the question. Am I, am I willing to do the same thing? Am I willing to take my intelligence and put it at the service of my love and of my heart. And if I am, well, then I will likely hit the goal because I'm going to be able to adjust. But you know, it, it goes both ways. Because on the other hand, 
the the practical nature of that we see in the world of business or in practical affairs also needs the light of the end goal to be attained that faith and true love gives us that spirituality allows us to have in other words it's not okay just to be cunning you have to be able to purify that cunning and have that cunning of the serpent so to speak purified by well the truth about what we're trying to do if i'm going to be someone who knows how to operate in the world I mustn't be someone who operates in the world according to the world's own standards. It's one thing to be an effective leader knowing how to strategize. It's another thing to be an effective Christian leader knowing how to strategize in the light of God and in the light of faith. Right? Now, it's obvious that both need each other. That's just like we said, spirituality needs strategy and choice in order to be effective. Yes, but you know what? Efficiency needs faith and love in order to be meaningful. Otherwise, we could be like those, you know, like we're children playing in a sandbox. And in the end, everybody, listen, all the things that we're trying so hard to achieve in our life are going to pass away. I mean, how much of what we're doing right now is going to last beyond our lifetime? I mean, let's be honest with you, with, with ourselves. The reason we're here is not just to make new structures or new institutions that will change and morph within a hundred years and even fall out of existence. That's not enough to be a purpose for a human life. The purpose of human life is what we're going to achieve in and through those structures, what we're going to achieve for the betterment of humanity in and through our efforts. And, and that greater goal of what we're trying to achieve by what we're doing on a daily basis. That has to be informed and gets to be informed by the beautiful light of God and the vision that God has for us. This is why a Christian has, is, is kind of a prophet for our world because we stand in the midst of the world and, and we point with a smile on our face to the beautiful potential that's within this world to speak of and to stretch toward and even in some ways to, to reach and to embody the world that is to come. Right? And, and so as everyone else kind of scurries around doing whatever they do, our strategy is a strategy of wisdom. We don't just focus in on human earthly success as if that was the be all and end all of life. We proclaim the, the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus crucified to this world to show that there's something even greater. There's a strategy to attain that sometimes is on the other side of suffering and on the other side of sorrow and sacrifice. It's a strategy of attaining the true depths of what this world can be in Jesus and in God. And, and that true vision allows us to purify the ruse, purify the cunning, and to make the, stra the strategic thinking of the, the world of practical affairs reach a truly ultimate goal, the wisdom of a humanity that's open to God and therefore open to genuine, deep, and infinite love. And this is why we're leaders, to make that vision a reality in our world today. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.